Hello there, church family. So good to see you and be with you for another online service. We're just going to not waste any time and uh, get over to a time of worship. So get ready, get prepared, get your Bibles. We're going to worship together and then come back together and get in God's Word. Let's do it. Take it away, band. I was
every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
Thank you, worship team, for leading us, and thank you so much for joining us online. Chris here, and I have just a couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, first off, uh, we are so thankful that uh, you have clicked on our video and, and that you're doing church with us, and uh, we love uh, to be able to do church with you. Uh, so we just hope and pray that it is a blessing for you throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we as a staff, we love praying for you, and uh, we would just encourage you to text your uh, confidential prayer request, your prayer requests to 97,000. Uh, you can do it at any time, and uh, we would get them. We will get them, and we'll love uh, to be able to pray for you. Uh, well, there is a lot going on at Agora Bible Fellowship. A lot's happening. Uh, tons of different ministries and weekly happenings, and if you are interested in knowing some more information, or, or if you would like to have more information, our website is like the best place to go. Uh, you can visit us anytime at agorabible.org. And if you're on the website, you'll notice that there is a Give tab, and uh, you can make a donation there. Uh, as you know, uh, our ministries are, um, are here because of your financial generous support, and we would be so grateful if you would uh, prayerfully consider making a donation. Well, before we get into God's Word, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Father, we are so grateful um, for the fact that we uh, get to send these videos out, that we get to have church with people uh, that are in different cities, different states, and throughout our country and many countries. Lord, we thank you uh, that you're a God of faithfulness and that you listen and hear us, Lord. Uh, we pray for the next few minutes as we open up your word, Lord, that you speak to us, that we hear you. And uh, make it clear to us what you want us to, to get out of these next few minutes. Or we love you so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your unending love. 
We love you so, so much. It's your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Hello, everybody, yet again. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and I just wanted to wish you a very happy summer is over. We're moving into the fall. Cry or laugh, it's happening, my friends. Uh, this season is a little interesting for us. We're ushering in this fun new season at work and personally. Uh, work, we've got the men's retreat coming up next weekend, which if you haven't signed up, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, taking our last few signups, getting people plugged into life groups. If you're missing this Sunday, which I'm assuming you are because you're watching this video, uh, man, this this Sunday at church, we're having our little taste of serving, taste of community life Sunday. Just a good way to get people plugged into the life of the church here. So by missing this Sunday, man, look on the website, figure out different ways to get plugged in. We'd love to get you plugged in uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, specifically, I'd love to get everybody connected into a life group and just doing life together. Uh, but personally, We've got baby girl Antioho coming here at the beginning of September. It is coming so, so quick. I don't think I'm ready, but it doesn't really matter. Here it comes, right? Isn't that just kind of everybody at this point in the year? So enough of that. Today we are wrapping up our series called Supporting Cass. I wanted to give one more shout out to Frank Gentile who did our artwork. Thank you so much, Frank. That looked amazing. So Pastor Scott had a wild one last week. If you missed it, go and check it out. It was very, very interesting. And I was thinking, man, how do I follow that up? Like, how do I follow up Pastor Scott's uh, craziness from last week and wrap up the series? I considered a few different options, and really the main one that had stood out was Deborah. And I thought that that was a, a great option. Uh, however, she also was a judge. Uh, Scott did Ehud, one of the judges from last week. And man, there was a lot, of, uh, <laughs> a lot of violence. And I figured we would take a break from the violence because Deborah's story is one filled with violence as well. And so what I did was I landed on another woman, a woman that has a pretty well-known name. However, I would contend that her story is much lesser known, but yet still very, very noteworthy. Uh, a number of people have been asking Lindsay and I, hey, what's the name of your guys' next baby? And Stephanie in particular tries to trick me into saying the name most days at the office, uh, unsuccessfully, haha. But we're like, the question is, how do you follow up the name Hallelujah and go for another name after that? You can't just follow it up with like any, like, well, I'm not gonna give an example. I don't wanna get in trouble. <laughs> so, but like, how do you follow it up? And I would argue that you follow it up with a name like Abigail. Now, is Abigail the name of our next daughter? No, it's not, but what you're gonna see, <laughs> sorry, Justin, I got Justin on that one, good. Uh, but what you're gonna see is from reading this text today, I think you'll agree that Abigail is absolutely a name worth naming your daughters after. Let me pray and let's get into God's word together. What do you say? Let's do it. Dear Father, uh, God, thank you so much um, for Agora Bible Fellowship. Thank you so much uh, for this video and just for a chance to dive into God's word together. Um, Lord, I ask that you would just take this time and do what you want to do through it. 
Um, Lord, I pray that you'd fill in all of my weaknesses, that you'd fill in all of the gaps. Um, Lord, that you would communicate what you want to say here during this time. Uh, I ask that the story of Abigail that we're going to study here today um, would just be special. Um, and more than special, would it be impactful, Lord? And I ask that you'd use it in our hearts and our lives. And uh, would it shape us to be a little bit more like you and like Jesus? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. You can do that on your device, or if you have your Bible in front of you, that would be great. Um, While you are turning, uh, I would like to just fill you in a little bit of what's been going on in 1 Samuel. So, as mentioned, last week, Pastor Scott preached on Ehud, one of the judges during the period of the judges from the book of Judges. Yes, after the judges, King Saul was appointed as the first king of Israel. But there was some drama there. Uh, King Saul ended up not being the greatest, and there's a little drama because David, the shepherd boy, ended up being pretty spectacular, and King and David ended up getting anointed king to replace Saul. However, Saul was not about it. Uh, and would not go without a fight, literally. He was chasing David around, trying to murder David because of this little competition that had been stirred up. Very interesting story. You can check a lot of it out in the beginnings of the book of First Samuel. So kind of at this point, what's been going on, David and his men, he's got about 600 men, they're out on the run, and he goes off into a wilderness to hide from King Saul. While he and his men are there, they notice uh, some shepherds with their goats and with their sheep. And uh, pretty hard not to notice because there was thousands of these sheep and goats. Thousands and thousands of them. Uh, And so... Uh, David and his men kind of acted as this unofficial security, making sure that uh, the sheep and goats got taken well care of, that they didn't disappear, that uh, people weren't coming and taking them. There's a lot to look after. They acted as this unofficial security, and this sets the stage for where we are today in Abigail's story. Our main focus in here in this story is going to be Abigail, but she is one of three main characters, and you're going to meet the other two here in our first section. Section number one is David's request. We're going to be taking a look here in verse one. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, which was a a fairly large area just west of the Dead Sea. Uh, Again, remember, he's fleeing from King Saul. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. 
because why wouldn't you hear that? That gets passed along information, yep. Now, your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in, my, in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. All right, so let's make a few observations of what is going on here. Uh, For the first time in scripture, we are introduced to this guy, Nabal. And we learn a few things about Nabal. The first thing is he is crazy, crazy rich like a whole mess of sheep and goats, sheep and goats just everywhere. Dude was crazy, crazy rich. Second thing we learn about him is he's just not a good guy, right? In verse three, we see it it explicitly said, like the author even introduces him this way. He's harsh and badly behaved. Also interesting to note, Nabal literally means fool, So whether he was given this name at birth or later on, we don't really know, but it's pretty obvious the character of this guy. Third thing we learn is dude married up. He married up big time. His wife, Abigail, has brains, has beauty. She has the full package. We haven't even met Abigail yet in the story, but already Everybody that's reading, all of us together, as we study here in this section, we're thinking, wow, Abigail sounds pretty amazing, and Nabal sounds like the worst. How in the world is this, like, marriage happening? Like, why, right? The second observation that I'd like to make is concerning David's request itself. It is during sheep shearing season. I nailed that. Oh, I thought I was going to mess that up so bad. All right, take a break, and I just want you to say sheep shearing season three times fast. Ready, go. Justin, that means you. That was pretty good, actually. Dang, I thought that was going to be trickier. Anyways, so verse 7, we see he says, I hear you have shearers. Maybe you're like me, and you read through that, and you're like, that means nothing to me. I'm just going to move on by. Don't get it at all. Uh, Well, to give a little bit of context, I learned this this week that sheep shearing season was a time that was associated with generosity. And it makes sense when you think about it, right? If you're bringing in all your sheep to get sheared, you're going to sell all the wool. You're going to profit from that, especially if you've got thousands of sheep, right? A big time, a lot of money starting to come in. So during the season, uh, you know, you'd be shearing the sheep. There would be a feast associated with it. And it was a time of generosity, especially to people that were less fortunate especially to people that were less fortunate. So this request of David is quite timely. It makes a whole lot of sense. It's not out of left field. Also, it is important to note that David is not just some random beggar, some random poor guy. He's not, okay? Uh, In verse eight, he refers to himself as Nabal's son, okay? In verse three, we learn that Nabal is a Calebite. Caleb, right? Caleb uh, was from the tribe of Judah. David, we know, is from the tribe of Judah, right? 
So they're from the same tribe. They are distant relatives. So this isn't just some random guy. David is a distant family member. This request certainly not out of line. So David's men, they go to Nabal, they make the request, they wait expectantly. It seems like a slam dunk, home run, teed up, no big deal. It's a no-brainer. This is going to happen. However, based on the very little that you and I know of Nabal here at this point in the story, what do you think? Do you think it's going to go over okay? Based on this question, you know it's not, okay? Let me just say, before we move on, it is a good thing that Nabal has Abigail. It is a good thing Nabal has Abigail. Let's keep reading. Nabal's response in verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. Things really got out of hand fast, right? Things escalated so, so quickly. So upon first read, uh, without knowing much about the situation, without knowing much about Nabal, uh, he can seem kind of justified in his response, I would say. Uh, and David kind of seems like an absolute maniac, right? Uh, and so I am not trying to justify David's actions or make it seem like he is doing the right thing. Uh, overreaction, uh, absolutely. Uh, certainly we can, we can say that. Uh, however, also to be completely, completely clear, uh, Nabal is being a huge, huge jerk. He is intentionally insulting David, not to his face, but second-handedly, like intentionally. Uh, Again, at first glance, you can think, okay, he's a distant family member, but he doesn't really even know David, so this request seems weird. Uh, we've already been saying that the request is not weird, and I'm going to explain even more so why it's not. Uh, Nabal absolutely knows exactly who David is, okay? Everyone knows who David is. Everyone. He is the talk of the town. He has been for months. People are writing and singing songs about him. David is a huge, huge deal. Everybody knows who David is. Uh, he knows exactly what part of the family line that David comes from, right? It's not just distant guy that I don't even know who you are. He knows he comes from Jesse, okay? And he knows David's exact situation. He gives further insult saying this thing about uh, slaves leaving their masters, running away from their masters. Uh, it's an intentional insult to David. Uh, he knows exactly who David is. He is family. Uh, he, it is a time of generosity. Nabal has absolutely plenty to go around 
And by the way, David had just saved Nabal so much money by watching over all of his flocks and his shepherds. Like, it is a absolute no-brainer. Uh, and so the, the easy question is just like, so why is Nabal doing this? Like, why such a negative response from Nabal? Some have speculated that Nabal is team Saul, right? Like, I'm just going to be against David because I'm on Saul's team, um, which would kind of go along with him being a fool because uh, nobody was team Saul uh, that was wise. Um, but honestly, from what we know of the story, from what we know of Nabal, it seems more likely that Nabal is just that bad of a guy. Like, he's just a miserable human being, a selfish, stingy jerk. Have I hit that point home enough, right? This guy is a horrible, horrible dude. And again, I say it is a good thing Nabal has Abigail. Let's see how Abby plays into the story. Abigail's reaction, verse 14. Um, we're going through verse 31 on this section. If you're looking at your Bible, you can see that that is a massive, massive chunk. And so I am not going to read the entirety of it. I'm going to do a little bit of summarizing. You can follow along in your Bibles. So verses 14 through 17, basically what happens is one of Nabal's men comes to Abigail and tells her everything that just went down. Uh, he verifies the fact that David and his men had been watching over the shepherds and their flocks, uh, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Um, and so he verifies that, and then he concludes in verse 17, which we've been learning all along, that Nabal is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then in verses 18 and 19, we see Abigail's really quick reaction. She reacts immediately. So what she does is she gathers a whole bunch of already prepared food. She gathers some bread, some wine, some sheep, some grain, some calves, whole bunch of food, and makes her way towards David. Seemingly, her plan is to make things right. All we know is she's heading in that direction. And at this point, the author deems it necessary to include the fact uh, that we see it in there, verse 19, that she did not tell her husband Nabal. And that brings me to my main point of today, which is this. If your spouse is an absolute fool, I'm just kidding. I can't even finish that sentence. Uh, that really doesn't have anything to do uh, with our main point today. Um, but it's interesting kind of studying this and going into, wait, she didn't tell her husband. She just kind of went off behind. Some were kind of arguing for the fact that this was a really bad move by Abigail. Uh, it's kind of going behind his back. Uh, not a good thing. Kind of a, a knock on Abigail, um, which I don't know. Uh, personally, as I was kind of wrestling through it, I really think it had more to do with the fact that time was of the essence. She didn't really have time to get into a big conversation, debate, go back and forth, figure it all out. Um, time was absolutely of the essence. David and 400 men were on their way uh, for a massacre, like at the moment. So she acted. 
Do I think it is worth mentioning and saying uh, this scripture is by no way condoning uh, doing things behind your spouse's back, hiding information from your spouse, uh, making unilateral decisions without your spouse? Uh, yeah, uh, that scripture is not saying that. Uh, this would be an exception, not the rule type of deal. Uh, worth saying. But it's also worth saying as a little bit of a spoiler alert is that Abigail actually does go back later after the fact, like after everything gets cleared uh, and she saves Nabal's life, spoiler alert, she goes back and tells him the whole story. It's not like she's withholding any information. So all that kind of paints a little bit more of the picture. But I gave you the spoiler alert that she saves his life. She is successful in saving his life. The question is, what happens? How does it go down? Let's continue in verse 20. I'm not going to read. I'm continuing to summarize. So, Starting in verse 20, we see that she goes out into this ravine and meets David as he's on his way to kill Nabal and every single male that's in Nabal's camp. Now, when she meets David, she does a few things. First thing she does, and this is gigantic, she takes full responsibility for the insult that Nabal gave to him. She felt like it was her place as Nabal's wife to take responsibility, even though she had nothing to do with it and wasn't a part of it whatsoever. The second thing she did is she was just completely honest. Like she was so straightforward with David. Like she admitted what happened. She explained the whole situation. She admitted that David was in the right, that Nabal was completely in the wrong. Uh, kind of got into a little bit of that. And then the last thing she did was she reminded David of some godly truths. She reminded David of some godly truths and she did it in such a gracious, gracious way. Uh, she reminded David that he was the Lord's anointed. She reminded David that the Lord had David's back. She reminded him that killing Nabal and his men would just be straight murder. She reminded David that it was not his place to go in and take justice for himself, that the Lord takes uh, care of justice on our behalf and takes care of justice on David's behalf in that moment. So much godly wisdom in a simple, quick conversation. As I was reading uh, through and kind of processing through what that looked like, what was going through Abigail's head, uh, I couldn't help but be reminded of the story uh, of one of my friends, completely true story. Uh, a friend that I have has two brothers. And these two brothers, the younger brother uh, had a little bit of a rap sheet, had gotten in some legal trouble and had some, um, yeah, just a, a little bit of a, a background with that. Um, the older brother was a family man and had a clean record, and the two of the, these two brothers find themselves in a fight. They're fighting a couple of other guys. Uh, I won't get into too many of the, the details and circumstances, uh, but get into a fight with these other guys, and during the course uh, of the fight, during the chaos that's kind of going on during this fight, the older brother uh, ends up like smashing one of the guys into a vending machine and like seriously, seriously injuring this guy. Uh, to he, really badly hospitalized, wondering if he was gonna live, all that stuff. And came to the point after the fact where they were gonna, char they were gonna press charges. 
And somehow in the mix, there was a little bit of confusion as to which of the brothers had actually done this because, man, it, it was turning out that it was going to be uh, some jail time involved. And what happened was, long story short, the younger brother, the one that's kind of has a little bit of a background, doesn't have the family, uh, ends up taking full responsibility for this and serves, I believe it was somewhere between eight and 10 years in prison for his brother. Absolutely wild, wild story. And I think, honestly, I was thinking there, I was like, this is the heart of Abigail. This is the heart of Abigail. In verse 24, she falls at David's feet and says, on me alone be the guilt, as David and 400 men who are strapped up with swords ready to come for a massacre, on me alone be the guilt. And I'm telling you, this was literally a life or death situation. She took full responsibility, asked that all the retribution be brought on herself, even though she didn't deserve it at all. And I'll tell you what, it takes character to like fess up, own up to something that you did wrong. But man, does it take some sacrificial love to own up to something that somebody else did. Such a huge, huge thing. I think there's a couple of things at play. I think in large part, I think she's trying to do right by Nabal's men, right? They don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to die. They did nothing wrong. And so I think she's kind of stepping up on their behalf. But I also think she's doing it for her husband, Nabal. That's right. This guy that we've gone over and over and talked about how miserable he is and how bad he is and how he probably didn't treat her like a princess all the time. And yet she steps up and does this for him as well. I think there are a number of things, a number of takeaways for us um, really for all of us, whether we're married, whether we're single, for everybody. Um, man, the first thing is for everybody. I just cannot help uh, but think of Abigail's honor and her character. Um, thinking about Nabal's men and just how they were not deserving of any of that. They didn't do anything, uh, especially uh, not deserving of death. Uh, it was her husband's fault Nabal wasn't going to act, and so she did. She put their lives above hers because it was the right thing to do, and then she left the rest up to God. Pretty incredible. For married people, those of you that are married out there, uh, man, I just think of, of Abigail's sacrificial love for her husband. Uh, I, it definitely does not seem like he deserved this. Like he doesn't deserve Abigail to come in and step in on his behalf. But man, she actively honored her marriage covenant. Holy smokes. I was thinking about it. She could have absolutely done nothing, right? Think about it. She could have easily made the excuse in her mind, you know what, I'm just not gonna do anything. It's not my place. I don't want to disrespect him by going against his wishes and making things right, right? How easy would it have been for her to justify doing nothing? And the aftermath would have been Nabal and all of his men killed. She would have been free from this marriage, from this guy who was horrible. And I'm just assuming it didn't treat her well all the time. Easily could have made that justification, but that's not what she did. She put his life above hers because it was the right thing to do. And she left the results up to God. Pretty incredible. For singles, for those of you that are single out there, man, I cannot help but think about Abigail's 
arranged marriage. And what I mean by that is, man, wouldn't you rather not be married at all than be married to a Nabal? Dead serious, dead serious. Because it doesn't matter how much money you make, how much power or status you have, doesn't matter how attractive you are, somebody is. Uh, man, being married to a Nabal for the rest of your life would be absolutely miserable. Uh, marriage, marriage, even to the best person in the world, can be difficult at times. The idea of being married to a Nabal just sounds like absolute torture. And I'm, I'm just being completely, completely honest. As I was processing through, I just thought, man, it, it, I feel like even from the pulpit, I need to communicate a truth that marriage is not the second gospel. Uh, I think it's easy sometimes in culture, sometimes in the church, especially to think that marriage is just like this on this huge, huge pedestal. It is the best way to live. Uh, and I just want to say marriage is not the second gospel. Marriage is a calling and a gift. Singleness is a calling and a gift. And one of those is not higher than the other. And if you were to bend my arm and say, Josh, you have to pick which calling is higher. Is it singleness or is it marriage? If you made me decide, biblically speaking, I would probably lean towards singleness. And you ask, well, Josh, why would you say that? Well, a little bit of a teaser. I'm guessing you're gonna have to wait. We are starting a series through 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 7 gets into the nitty gritty. So excited uh, to hear uh, teaching on that in the weeks to come. But man, uh, I'm just gonna leave that there. Let's, uh, let's wrap up this story. Continuing on in verse 32. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left in the ball so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I've granted your petition. Wow. And Abigail, and Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. He had no idea what was headed his way for he was very drunk. So he told so she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him and she, he became as stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. A lot, a lot going on there. So one of my favorite TV shows of all time is a TV show called 24. Jack Bauer, CTU, dominating terrorists of all kinds. Absolutely phenomenal entertainment. Uh, really, the sh like the perfect ideal of a TV show. It really is. It's got it all. However, there is one very well-known flaw about 24. It's the timeline. It's the timeline. So the entire premise of the show is that the show takes place in real time. 
an episode will start at, let's say, 8 a.m., and it's an hour-long show, and at the end of the show, it counts down, and it's 9 a.m. Then the next uh, episode will pick up at 9 a.m. and end at 10 a.m. That's the premise of the show. It's filmed in real time. However, there's an issue because Jack Bauer in two hours of L.A. traffic it's not really a riveting two hours, two episodes of TV. Uh, and so travel time really just doesn't exist on the show. Um, like Jack can get from Santa Barbara down to Orange County in like a commercial break. It's like, I'm here, I've arrived. It's amazing. Uh, and here's the thing is you don't really care. You're watching the show and you don't, you don't care because it's TV. However, this is the Bible and it's like, there's got to be some answers for how some of this stuff works out. I don't know if this came to your mind as we were reading through, but it absolutely came to my mind, is how in the world did Abigail have all this food prepared and ready to go, right? Like, it's, it's like baked bread. It's like prepared sheep, not just like a dead one or not just like a live sheep, like prepared. There's like grains and cakes and like all this stuff. Like, how in the world does she have all this prepared? And... I believe, this is speculation, but it only, like, I needed to make some sort of explanation in my mind. How does she get so much of this food? Well, I think we see it here, Nabal's feast, right? He's got a feast of a king going on here, and I think she just goes in, grabs all this food that was going to be for his feast coming up, like, in the next few hours, and books it on out, um, which is interesting because I think it illustrates a couple of things. It continues to illustrate just how much of a jerk this Nabal guy was. Like he had so much food, he didn't even notice that there was missing food. Um, and man, just what a rotten, rotten guy. Uh, it's also kind of funny to think about the food that got take was like from his feast. Anyways, enough Nabal talk. Let's get back to Abigail. Don't you think? I think so. So I know that I've been saying a lot it is a good thing that Nabal had Abigail. And that's certainly true, right? She just saved his life, literally. However, it is really a good thing that David had Abigail. Such a good thing that David had Abigail. Because look at David's immediate heart change. Look at what happens. So he's literally on the way to kill Nabal and all his men. Abigail drops this godly wisdom on him and he has this complete 180 degree turn completely the other way. Uh, admitting that, oh man, I'm so convicted. That would have been murder. Oh man, I'm so convicted. That would have been playing the role of God and making salvation for myself. Instantly, David would have turned into the bad guy. Like in an instant, after doing all that murdering, he would have turned into the bad guy. And I'm just saying, I wonder what in the world would have happened to the rest of David's story. Like how would that have impacted David's story? We think of David as this guy that graciously let King Saul live, right? Just a chapter before in 1 Samuel 24, David has the easy teed up opportunity to, to kill Saul who's chasing him, trying to kill him, and he doesn't. He doesn't do it. We have this picture of David, um, yeah, like being peaceful and letting the Lord do his work for him. But then what would have happened had he come to Nabal and took justice for himself and killed him? I'm just telling you, I think it would have changed the entire story. Uh, I know that God is not above redeeming things, but I think it would have changed the whole story. 
A big question though is how in the world did David go from a thousand, like, you know, a thousand degrees so heated up down to like calm and cool. Like the picture of him going from sword strapped on 400 guys, like charging towards the ball ready for war to look at this. Uh, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you. Go in peace. Like that transformation, that transition is so stark and it's like hard for me to imagine how he transitioned so quickly. Uh, the only human example I can think of somebody going from a thousand down to zero, the only human example I can think of is my daughter, Holly. Like she'll be sprinting at full speed and then over the course of a commercial break, like she's just passed out. It's amazing. Um, but in all seriousness, how does that happen? And I think the only explanation is it's just a testament to Abigail, a testament to Abigail, not only to her humble approach, because she would, man, her approach and her tact was so gracious, um, so smooth, so beautiful. Uh, but not only that, I think it's more about who she is. Like, I'm convinced that these truths that she came and she shared with David, that's just like a part of who she is. It's her DNA. It's in the fabric of like what makes Abigail, Abigail. Uh, even in that very moment as she's there talking with David, she is illustrating the truth that she's explaining to him. What she's saying is do the right thing and let the Lord take control of the rest. Do the right thing and trust God with the rest. That's exactly what she was doing in that moment. She did the right thing by going and intervening, even though her life was on the line, even though she could have uh, justified it by saying she didn't want to go against her husband. Um, Man, she did the right thing and let the Lord take care of the rest. And I just think that is absolutely the biggest thing that we can take away from Abigail's story today. Um, would we be men and women that continually, continually learn how to allow God to do his role and us not try and go and do his role for him. I think it looks differently, and it's interesting because it's here uh, in this very story, and it looks very differently. Like in the David scenario, David needed to sit back. David was all charged up, ready to go and get justice, to do the role of God, but he needed to sit back, relax, take a break, and let God do the thing that God's gonna do. However, on the other side, Abigail looked completely different. Abigail needed to take action. Abigail needed to act and do the right thing and let God do what God is gonna do. But in either way, regardless of what it looks like in your individual personal situation, they both look like doing the right thing. Even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't feel fantastic, even when there could be personal consequences, it's doing the right thing and allowing the Lord to fill in the rest. Because I'll tell you what, man, the Lord doing his job is the absolute best. God is so big, he can handle any of it. So that's my prayer for us, my prayer for me, my prayer for you. Uh, let me pray. Dear Father, um, God, just thank you for this story. Thank you for the story of Abigail. Thank you for her heart. Thank you for how you wired her. It's so clear to see uh, the heart of integrity, 
uh, just how honorable she was, how much wisdom you gave her. Um, Lord, and we just ask that for ourselves, for that type of sacrificial love for those around us. Um, Lord, thank you for um, the fact that you are a God that acts and that you are just and that you will bring justice in your time. Lord, we just have to sit and trust you and trust your plan even when we want to make things happen or even when we want to sit back or even when we want to make excuses or justify. Lord, we just are so desperate for your Holy Spirit uh, to fill us up, to give us wisdom in those moments of when we should act, when we should sit and wait. Um, But Lord, we want to do what's right and wait on you to take care of the rest. Um, Lord, I pray in our individual situations that you'd give us so much wisdom on what that looks like, God. I pray that even now. Um, Lord, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When the sea is calm and all is right When I feel your favor flood my life Even in the good I'll follow you Even in the good I'll follow you When the boat is tossed upon the waves When I wonder if you'll keep me safe Even in the storms I'll follow you Even in the storms I'll follow you
Well, thank you again, worship team. And thank you guys for being here for another online service. We appreciate it a ton. A few things. Uh, wanted to give a little bit of a tail end of the story. Uh, if you keep reading down at the end of the chapter, David finds out that uh, what happens with Nabal, how Nabal dies, and he sends word to Abigail and asks uh, her to be his wife. And she goes and is his wife. Pretty cool story how that all wraps up. I'm telling you that God's got it. He's got the big picture. He's got it all figured out. Pretty cool. A couple other things. As I mentioned before, uh, community life, if there's ways that you were looking to get plugged in, whether that's serving or just involved in a group, would love to get you connected. There's a life group questionnaire that you can fill out online. And finally, if there's anything that we can be praying for you for or any way that we can serve you, please reach out and let us know. We'd love to do that. We love you. Have an amazing week. See you soon.